This Rarecast is made possible by Global Genes, a leading education and advocacy organization that serves and promotes the needs of patients and families touched by rare and genetic disease. Since 2009, Global Genes has been building awareness, developing patient-focused education and advocacy tools, and funding patient care programs and critical research. To learn more, go to globalgenes.org. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is Rarecast. Two attorneys specializing in regulatory law recently proposed the creation of an FDA rare disease center of excellence to better allow the agency to address the challenges of advancing and reviewing rare disease products. The proposal, advanced by Hyman Phelps and McNamara's director, Frank Sasanowski, and associate James Valentine, also calls for the creation of deputy directors of rare disease at various FDA divisions, and the creation of a rare disease advisory committee made up of external experts. We spoke to Valentine about the proposal, why these measures are needed, and the early response from one key figure at the FDA. James, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. We're going to talk about a recent proposal you co-authored that calls for FDA to create a center of excellence for rare disease, how it might work, and the need it would address. Let's start with the Orphan Drug Act, though, which is now 35 years old. For people not familiar with the act, what is it and what what did it do? Yeah, well, that's a good place to start. And the Orphan Drug Act, it is a law that really was put in place to try to address an important public health problem, um, one where orphan and rare diseases um, are not really often pursued by medical product developers because these products provide little financial incentive uh, for the private sector to make and market new medicines um, because there are not a lot of patients to make those uh, the research really cost-effective. And so this law, which was enacted in 1983, uh, actually as the result of tireless advocacy uh, by rare disease patients, uh, defined what an orphan drug is in the United States, and that is one that treats a disease that affects 200,000 patients or less. And for drugs that meet that definition, it actually provides financial incentives uh, for the development of these products, which, among other things, uh, include marketing exclusivity for that orphan indication if it's approved, and an exemption from having to pay uh, FDA's application fees, which are not uh, insubstantial these days, um, over $2.5 million. Uh, I think it's also worth noting that the Orphan Drug Act did not change the evidentiary standard for approval for orphan products. So while it created incentives, uh, it, the same legal and regulatory requirements for approval um, are, are maintained uh, the same as for any other drug. The act is widely seen as being successful. How has it changed the landscape for the development of drugs to treat rare diseases? Yeah, I, uh, exactly what you said there, Danny. Um, it has changed, uh, increased the um, investment in 
research and development of drugs for rare diseases. Um, before the passage of the Act, uh, actually only 10 drugs were, for orphan diseases were approved um, in the 10 years prior. And since that time, more than 600 drugs for orphan conditions have been uh, approved to help treat millions of patients worldwide. So um, certainly the Act has um, increased the availability of these products being a huge success. But I think it also, um, despite that huge increase, there's still much to be done. Um, only about 5% of the over 7,000 known rare diseases even have a single FDA-approved therapy. It's unleashed uh, a substantial amount of capital and activity in the rare disease space, but all of this increased activity has added to the demands on FDA. From a regulatory perspective, what are the challenges of providing oversight and conducting reviews and marketing applications for rare disease products? This is a great question, Danny. Um, as you can imagine, uh, with this increased uh, demand, you know, the increased number of development programs could be coming before FDA, um, when you have these diseases and conditions that um, affect only a few people, uh, there also aren't a lot of resources being funneled towards the basic science or medical research to really help understand those diseases. Um, and this leads to gaps in knowledge and a lack of experience in designing clinical trials in that disease. Um, in fact, for many rare diseases, um, a phase three or pivotal trial conducted in that disease might be the first ever. So um, it's become more accepted that rare disease development and review is really a discipline of its own, and really the expertise in that area is, is limited. So um, really FDA reviewers need to be experienced uh, with accounting for things like small sample sizes, not having well-established natural history, and uh, what I mentioned, that there being little precedence for the development um, or use of established biomarkers or clinical outcome assessments. Um, and since we actually learn a lot about a rare disease when we study it in a clinical trial, uh, we also would want reviewers to have experience in assessing the credibility of those findings and interpreting those results in these less-than-ideal settings, uh, giving that the knowledge base is currently uh, constantly evolving. Um, I would say the, the other area um, that requires expertise uh, is with uh, innovative trial designs that really help maximize the information that's gained from any one trial, which is really important when you have small patient populations that you're trying to recruit from, so you have small sample sizes. And there's also, um, you would want familiarity and expertise in utilizing FDA's own expedited programs, like, for example, the accelerated approval uh, program uh, that allow for appropriate uh, uses of flexibility, which are very appropriate in the rare disease context. Um, and I, I don't want it to sound like FDA does not have this expertise. Uh, in fact, there are many at the agency who are rare disease experts. It's just that this expertise um, is disparate from division to division or office to office, even center to center. And so um, our proposal seeks to leverage this expertise across the agency to help ensure that all orphan products benefit from it. Another piece of legislation that, that has impacted this landscape is the 21st Century Cures Act, which provided the FDA authority to establish centers of excellence. The first of these the FDA established is in oncology. What's the purpose of the centers of excellence, and, and how has the oncology center of excellence worked? Yeah, so first off, a center of excellence 
just an organizational unit within FDA uh, that leverages the combined skills of the regulatory scientists and reviewers um, with expertise across drugs, biologics, and medical devices that help expedite the development of products within an area of public health importance. And that's how it is set out in the 21st Century Cures Act. Um, the act did not define public health importance, but I would say that there's little doubt that with one in 10 Americans living with a rare disease and 95% without approved treatment, that rare diseases would meet that definition. The Oncology Center of Excellence, uh, which is referred to as the OCE, so unfortunately that means we can't use uh, OCE for the Orphan Center of Excellence, so maybe we can call it the RCE, Rare Center of Excellence, but that OCE was established in June of 2016 as part of uh, Vice President Biden's cancer moonshot. And the idea was that FDA's traditional orientation towards centers that focus on specific products should instead uh, break down the silos and have a more integrated approach across drugs, biologics, and devices. Um, and that this would help with the evaluation of products for uh, oncology or cancer indications. And in fact, this has this model has led to a number of successes. Um, the OCE has um, put out that you know the review um, function within the OCE has resulted in uh, 12 drugs and biologics and one diagnostic device approval. Um, it has allowed for subject matter and regulatory expertise to be provided over a dozen submissions for breakthrough therapy designation and allow for participation in 100 key development meetings uh, for oncology products. Uh, in addition, the OCE has centralized the engagement function with cancer patient groups, resulting in nine workshops and over 20 symposia, as well as a number of informational resources. So, you know, the OCE um, is able to do things uh, within FDA um, across the centers, like deliver training and professional development, and build capacity and oncology expertise and really allow people to stay up-to-date on cutting-edge science. So I think all of these things are the uh, types of things that the rare disease community would really benefit from. Well, your proposal calls for a creation of a rare disease center of excellence. How exactly would this work from a, a structural point of view, and, and how would it be staffed? Sure. So the rare disease center of excellence uh, would largely follow the model of the Oncology Center of Excellence. Um, it would be put in place through a me mem memorandum of understanding between the three medical product centers at FDA. Um, a director would be put in place of the Center of Excellence, and they would report into the Office of Medical Products and Tobacco, um, which is actually currently the same place that the three medical product center directors report into. Um, the review function for rare disease products would remain in the current uh, review divisions or offices within each center, but now the Center of Excellence would be able to provide oversight and support to, to those staff that are assigned to those reviews. So um, this would allow for, for a number of things. This would allow for harmonization of regulatory approaches. It would allow for coordination of regulatory science initiatives. It would allow for implement implementation of rare disease-focused meetings, as well as stakeholder engagement with the external community, not only, um, for example, patient advocacy organizations, but also other international regulatory agencies on issues in rare disease product development. And you know, I think it's worth reiterating that this proposal would not take decision-making authority away from the centers um, where it currently resides. It would help supplement 
uh, the centers with rare disease expertise that's available to them um, and provide the staff within the centers with the support and oversight that they really need to provide um, meaningful um, meaningful review and, and input to uh, sponsors that are developing products for rare diseases. In addition to the Center of Excellence, there are two other main components to the proposal. Walk us through that. Sure. Uh, so we, as part of this proposal, um, thought that it would be important to um, complement not only an organizational unit that would pr uh, help support uh, kind of uh, oversight and resources across FDA and rare diseases, um, but provide also some additional rare disease expertise to the agency, um, both to do the day-to-day -day review work as well as to provide supplemental expertise when necessary. And so these two other components um, are first a rare disease advisory committee um, and then second the appointment of either deputy or associate directors for rare diseases within the different review offices across the different centers. Um, so I'll, I'll just briefly um, talk about each of those. Uh, so for the um, Rare Disease Advisory Committee, we know that rare disease expertise is not only disparate within FDA, but also outside. So we wanted to be able to provide FDA with access to external advisors to help uh, advise on issues of rare disease medical product development. Um, and so that's why we thought a Rare Disease Advisory Committee could be established. Um, for the model for this, we thought similar to how the Drug Safety and Risk Management Advisory Committee uh, is called jointly with one of FDA's other disease area-specific advisory committees. So, for example, in neurology, you would have the um, Central and Peripheral Nervous System Advisory Committee. Um, it could be called in joint with something like that to help advise on the review of new products um, with unique rare disease uh, considerations. Um, and so... Uh, the members of this committee, um, instead of having to have rare disease experts appointed to every single disease-specific advisory committee, um, could be uh, put together on a single advisory committee that would benefit all disease areas, and they, of course, would be selected um, among authorities that are knowledgeable and experienced in rare disease research and development. Um, so then the uh, second part of this, uh, or I guess the second additional proposal um, is the appointment of these deputy or associate directors for rare diseases. Um, and so uh, we know that uh, the heavy, heavy lifting um, for reviewing orphan products is done within the review staff within each center. And we did not want to disrupt that workflow. So instead what we've proposed is to add these deputy directors so that there's a dedicated staff person to help manage that day-to-day -day oversight and review of rare disease applications within that office or division. Um, as well as be a person to help coordinate with the Rare Disease Center of Excellence uh, staff uh, in product development and review. Um, and we modeled this off of other um, similar positions that exist within the Center for Drugs, um, where they have deputy directors for safety and associate directors for labeling that help coordinate with other offices that are outside of the division to help ensure consistency, and that's what we're really uh, seeking to achieve and one other thing that we've, we've thought about since uh, announcing the proposal is actually that these individuals could hold joint appointments with the Center of Excellence um, while residing full-time within their respective office. Um, again, uh, with our approach, um, hoping to uh, have minimal disruption in the day-to-day -day review functions, but at the same time providing review staff specialized support and oversight from the Center of Excellence. 
The proposal got a public airing at the Every Life Foundation Scientific Workshop in September. You had a, a variety of stakeholders in the room. I know that BioCentury reported that Janet Woodcock, director of the FDA's Center for Drug Evaluation and Research, was there and, and argued a single center of excellence would be negative to the rare disease cause. She argued instead for a multidisciplinary approach to rare disease product review and said a, a matrix structure where FDA could assemble teams from clusters of expertise might suit rare disease product review better. Is that fair criticism? Does, does that have you rethinking the proposal at all? Yeah, we appreciate and actually agree with Dr. Woodcock's views on the importance of multidisciplinary review um, when dealing with rare disease products and uh, applications for approval. Um, and we actually think our proposal allows for that multidisciplinary approach. So just to kind of break that down, you know, as proposed, our rare disease center of excellence would keep the primary clinical review within the review division. And that would either be conducted by or with assistance from that new deputy director for rare diseases um, that we propose to be added. Um, the, CEO, the Center of Excellence Organizational Unit itself um, would provide the support and oversight, as I've described. Um, but our proposal is really flexible as to whether the ultimate clinical review would require sign-off by the Center of Excellence. Um, but either way, that multidisciplinary review activity would be able to continue and occur um, it would just now occur with enhanced um, rare disease expertise that would be provided to the review team. Any sense whether Woodcock is flexible on this? Yeah, so, you know, we've talked about how our proposal has three legs, um, the Center of Excellence Organizational Unit, the Advisory Committee, and uh, the third problem being the added Deputy Directors uh, for Rare Diseases. Um, Dr. Woodcock's remarks really focused on the first of those three, um, and from conversations she's had with us, we understand that she has openness uh, to the two to which she did not speak to, um, the advisory committee and the deputy directors, and in fact has invited um, further dialogues with us. With regard to the Center of Excellence Organizational Unit itself, um, you know, I would point to Dr. Woodcock's closing statement, um, where she really left it to say that um, it just warrants further conversations, um, but I think this signals openness to the concept as well. How have others received the proposal, and what's the path forward for it to live beyond this initial unveiling? Yeah, well, thank you for this question. Um, as we stated when we actually announced this proposal, we expected this to be the start of a discussion, um, a discussion that we intended uh, to be about moving from the status quo, from the regulatory review of rare disease products, and um, since that announcement, what we've heard from patients and patient advocates, um, product researchers and developers, and FDA staff is that there's an agreement that there is a real need for improved rare disease expertise within the agency. And there's certainly been a lot of support from external stakeholders uh, for our proposal, but my sense is that FDA really wants to be able to contribute to the discussion more and have more buy-in. Um, and so... We want to work with them to have them share their insights and expertise that would help inform the ultimate final proposal. Um, so our plan is we're going to follow up um, on those requests by FDA officials to uh, have further discussions with them and have that help inform the final details in our final proposal, which we will release and continue to advocate for moving forward. James Valentine, associate with the law firm Hyman, Phelps, and McNamara. James, thanks so much for your time.
You're very welcome. Thank you, Danny. Thanks for listening. For more information about rare disease and to connect to the rare disease community, go to globalgenes.org. To keep up on the latest news and trends affecting the rare disease community, be sure to visit raredaily.org. You can subscribe to the Rarecast RSS feed through raredaily.org or through SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast manager. The Rarecast is produced for Global Genes by the Levine Media Group. You can also find our podcast, The Bio Report, on these popular podcast sites. Our theme music is composed by Jonah Levine and performed by the Jonah Levine Collective. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a note at danny at levinemediagroup.com.